Digital Week. I'm Monica Bradley and today we're exploring the future of retail. Retail 5.0, checking out the future. And joining me in the studio, Professor Marek Wachowicz. Welcome Monica. How are you? And of course the wonderful Professor Michael Roseman. Monica, lovely to see you. We're unpacking the shopping trolleys are full, the carts are ready, we're about to take off. So Marek, tell us about why is the future of retail 5.0 important? It's interesting. So the, the, there's a lot of changes happening in retail and uh, if you try to look up a, a standard textbook definition of retail, it starts with words that say retail is the sale of goods at uh, relatively low quantities for consumptions rather than resale. Uh, now when you think about the definition, there are some major changes happening. We're not only talking about sale anymore. People, the customers of retailers, often pay for products that they don't own afterwards. So I'm thinking about digital products such as ebooks or music, mm -hmm. which effectively you rent rather than owning. And in, in the same spirit, it's not only goods anymore, but often you pay for services mm -hmm. that have the same qualities of goods. So imagine you know paying for access to a city bike. Uh, it's almost like your own bike, though it's not yours, mm -hmm. and it's really a service that you're paying for. So it's not a sale of goods on, an, anymore, just mm -hmm. that. But so you're saying more. the future of retail has profoundly changed. Yep. If we talk to Michael, the 5.0 expert, what does 5.0 mean for retail? So 5.0 in general for us means different maturity stages of an industry. Mm. So if so you maybe refresh us on 1.0. Yeah, that's right. So if we go back to the retail sector, the first department stores were created more than 300 years ago. So 1.0 is really when the industry emerges, when we have the first business model, the first understanding of retail could be viable. Mm. Nothing is streamlined. We just get our hands around the mechanics. Uh, 2.0 is when we want to become more efficient. In terms of scale matter, we look into uh, uh, production and productivity gains. And so that's when, when... So maybe chains became a part. So brands that that's had multiple right. locations, right. they got efficiencies. Right. Okay. So you understand your trade, and when you understand the basic trade of buying, storing, selling, mm -hmm. then you work out, and how can I do this more yep. effectively? The third stage is, think Henry Ford, mm. when it's not just about manually improving it, but when you really think, what could I do and automate? So like the industrialization. That's right. That's okay. industrialization of an industry. And, and you see this in, in banking and insurance, in manufacturing, of course, but also in retail, when it becomes asset intensive and you automate and you bring the first uh, benefits of IT and, and, and mechanical engineering to an industry. And that, of course, unlocks enter new economies of scale. And this is also where e-commerce was born. So it's also about internet shopping, right? Uh, well, 3.0 is maybe more still B2B. It's really mm -hmm. like concepts in the retail sector around supply chain management, efficient consumer response. Mm. This is when retailers would upload sales data and the manufacturer would respond. Not oh, yeah. behind the curtain. Things like EDI. Remember yeah, that? Right. It's like having a Nokia phone, right? <laughs> and so characteristic here was, it was what we call behind the plastic door, behind the curtain. Yeah. Typically invisible to the consumer. Yeah, I agree, yes. It would make its way through the kind of very effective uh, pricing strategy. Walmart, Aldi are nice examples. You optimize behind the plastic door, as a consumer, you get low prices. So very below the line innovation. Correct. All very important. Very effectiveness. Important. Uh, and, and, and retail has some brilliant examples. 4.0 okay. is when you then touch the final consumer. Mm. Okay. Uh, so instead of B2B as a focus, B2C becomes the focus. Mm. This is when really e-commerce kicks in, online shopping, the first loyalty programs kick in. 
So 4.0 is what we observe in many industries. This is the digitization. When apps occur, it's really about the, the, the automation of how I and the consumer interact. It's also mm -hmm. mass personalization, right? The first steps of it, right? Correct. Recommender systems kick in. Mm -hmm. we, we get insights into your life. You're willing to share data. This is what we observe right now. It's so the history the 5 in the main. 5.0 is about point. the... R4, okay. So 4.0 is digitization. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, to a large extent, the old model. I'm the retailer, you come to me, we just streamline access, and we give you multiple channels, whether uh, it's Facebook okay. or the app. But in the end of the day, it's me running the show, you come to me, and you take part in my life. It's just I give you a lot of digital options. Right. It's all about me, me, me. Correct. 5.0 is all about you. <gasps> 5.0 is finally all about us and the oh, consumer. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. So instead of the center of attention being the retailer, it's the consumer. Mm, okay. Um, I'm, I'm in the head so now. That's a sort of idea. We call this then individualization. So, mm. Marek, the group at the PwC Chair in the Digital Economy has authored an awesome report, I have mm. to say. I love your reports because they're not academic, they're actually quite practical. So, as a practitioner out there working with business and, and reinventing startups, I can actually pull things out of it and activate straight away. So, you've got you know about 10 really awesome, great new trends. That's Let's right. highlight a few of them. I'm, I'm really interested in this device as the customer. Hmm. A, a DAAC. That's right. So this is the this is the world of your fridge restocking yourself. And we you know we've heard a lot of stories about the products that uh, that people already have. You know the coffee machines that can make an order uh, by themselves at the moment. What we're basically seeing here, and that's why we're calling it device as a customer. We're seeing that the first time in history. It's not only humans making purchasing decisions, but it's also agents, uh, whether it's devices or, or software, uh, deciding I need to buy this, I need to buy that. And it's, it's effectively creating a, a parallel retail market where mm. questions such as how do you market to a fridge are becoming very important. You know, the first mm. uh, iterations of those smart fridges that restock themselves, you will have to tell them, I need this particular type of milk, I need this particular type of cheese, and so on. But the future fridges will basically take your preferences into account, and then they will open up and say, I need a cheese that is, you know, like this, like this, like that send your offers, mm. right? So how do you market to a fridge? And uh, well, and how do you penetrate the algorithms, mm. which is more important, I guess, is what you're behind it. That's but right. also we've got, I guess we've got the category, which are the devices that sit in appliances. Mm. But then we have this brand new category, which is really hot at the moment, which mm. is Alexa, which is Google Home, which is, I guess, the older versions of Siri and Cortana, which are really voice activated mm. auto procurement, right, mm. Michael? I agree. They, however, still require consumer input. I yeah. think the fascination is if Alexa is not needed anymore, if the device acts on my behalf. And I guess what we would see is that what we've done in the past, vendor managed inventory, continuous replenishment, collaborative planning, things we learned from B2B are now transported to B2C. I become like a mini supermarket. I'm just like a little franchise. My fridge is like a little franchise and my fridge will kind of engage in, in vendor managed inventory scenarios. That's right. So just, just like organizations in the past realized that the core of their operations is not the process, it's not the vendor management and mm. so on, but you know really what they're good at, they decided to implement software in this space. I think individuals, the customers, are, are now realizing that retail is just a means to an end. In most cases, when I go shopping, I don't go shopping because I want to go shopping. I go shopping because I have a particular need 
that needs to be fulfilled and you know that the retail the way the retail is done these days is effectively the only way I can do that but one of the other trends I really liked um, is consumers bringing their own data so mm. Michael tell us a little bit more unpack that for me so if, if I pick the convenience and experience example in a simple way you could say take care of my convenience and the first solution was the fridge realizes now milk I replenish mm. the second stage is that the fridge might be able to negotiate the third stage is that the fridge might actually um, inspire you. So my own data could say that's a sort of favorite meal and my fridge or whatever device composes a menu for you. I hope you like this morning. I understand it's Friday night. I ordered this for you. Um, and so I, I don't think we only would see convenience and the automation of convenience. I think the final um, destination uh, and delight will be when algorithms can create experiences. Wow, and that's almost at the cellular level. Cellular not as in mobile phone, but cellular as in my DNA. Correct, correct. So I would learn a lot about you, uh, and, and this would be highly sophisticated algorithms wow. where the fridge truly tries to impress you. Wow, could, could that's you, a relationship at a whole new level. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine allowing your fridge to know your genome so oh that God. it could order the products that are uh, truly now best Now I'm seeing for Tinder you, right? for fridges, right? And it's really bad. <laughs> Tinder um, for I'm thinking <laughs> proactive retail. Like, proactive is a very big theme for mm. us generally at the PwC chair in the digital economy. Um, we've done proactive government. Now we're looking at the proactive retail experience. So, Merrick, just unpack a little bit about what does proactivity mean? So a, a proactive retailer is a retailer that is faster than the customers. So knowing, having access to the digital signals that customers might be uh, might be willing to share with the retailers. Maybe the fact that I went for a run in the morning, I can share the information with my retailer and the retailer can proactively deliver a product to me. It could say, you know, I'm not a big you know fan of coconut milk, but some runners go for it after mm -hmm. a run. So maybe the retailer would deliver a fresh bottle of coconut milk just after my run. Or maybe while I'm running, someone would just hand it to me at the end yeah. of my run. I was at the uh, Future of Retail exhibit mm. in Sydney last week and one of the interesting questions we raised was um, ethical sourcing mm. and how more um, individuals but also corporates are realizing mm. that the power to change the world or to impress I guess their preferences on the world is often in the dollar yep. that we spend at our supermarkets or we spend in our corporate relationships and so as we get more technology or device automated how do we exercise those ethical environmental um, personal preferences for buying locally for buying organic from buying from particular brands because of what their values represent, like the, the business of like a B Corp, the business of my profit business driving social change. How do we incorporate that into yeah, this so, new so, automation? So, I mean, as an IT person, you could argue it's just another way of configuring business rules. So I would mm. ask 10 questions about me at the beginning that would understand I'm an ethical procurer and it would then pivot me towards ethical investments. Well, I might understand it's you and your five kids, single income, and it's massive cost reduction and you you just right, don't so have about. any income to tolerate social uh, values that matter in your purchasing. So we just learn a lot about it and say, shop local, shop cheaply, inspire right. me. And so just, just what we call configuration engines. Yeah? Yeah, the, okay. the washing machine, the car, the fridge will come with configuration engines. Learn on the fly or learn by, by being explicitly taught. And, and if this is important to you and say shop locally, shop from farmers or shop gluten-free, yeah. that will do whatever you want. So it puts a whole new spin on, you know, what used to look at retails look at a lot was the cost of acquisition of customer, right? Because mm -hmm. now you're acquiring almost the channels within the technology. Mm -hmm. So it's the cost of algorithm penetration. Yes. There's some whole new metrics that's going to really, I know, drive you guys wildly <laughs> excited. Okay, so let's summarise here for our listeners. So if I'm a retailer, so what? There's lots of change going on. Give me... Maybe 
maybe three, two things each that you think we really need to focus on to be adequate and to be keeping up with Retail 5.0. Let's start with you, Mary. Maybe to start with one uh, that, that we haven't explicitly mentioned, though the, the, just the, the discussion we had right now really, really highlighted that there's a shift from customer relationship management toward customer-managed relationships. Okay. So the power is moving into the customer's hands. And this is where we will be saying, this is what we want to have. This is how we want to work with retailers. So, so lesson number one for uh, retailers is to understand the customer that customers will have more power, more decisions to choose from uh, from various retailers. The question will be, how do I, as a retailer, fit into this picture? Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. good. And the other one that you are always big on is customers bringing their own data, which that's kind right. of relates to that. I that's, guess that's exactly right. And 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 bringing your own data might often mean that I just allow others to look at my data, mm -hmm. so my data is with me, and then then the retailers are allowed to have a peek at it when, whenever they want to offer me a product. Okay, and mm -hmm. Michael, your two favorites? F facing uh, a, a new type of competition. So if you enter the space of individualization and personalization, you do not just deal with a completely reconditioned consumer, you also have a complete new breed of competitors. And those who are very close to the consumer, the Apples, the Amazons, the Google, uh, they have the potential to become your first tier retailer. And I can see world where some retailers become only second-tier retailers. So at the moment, I'm exposed to you directly, but like what we see with the driverless car, uh, there's a danger that some retailers become like a second-tier uh, provider and lose the direct customer interface, and mm -hmm. which would have tremendous negative implications for them and their customer insights. Mm -hmm. and, and you've got the, the layer in between, the big unicorns uh, who become event broker, data brokers, become a complete new element in its sort of supply chain. And in the old days, we didn't have that sort of layer, but you have a complete new digital layer in classical retail supply chains. That's right. right. The second one is, we talked a lot about feasibility. We talked about technicalities, bring your own data and so on. Um, desirability and viability. All of the things that we discussed. Do I really want to outsource my life to, con to, to a fridge? Uh, and, and do I, as a retailer, still make money in all of this? Uh, and so we, we don't know a lot about the economics of this new retail 5.0 environment. We see the, the technological capabilities and possibilities. We don't know what's the, the personal readiness of our consumers, what sort of target groups are ready for it, and the sort of business models, viability, can I really um, create highly individualized supply chains with very personalized, quick delivery uh, uh, and still uh, have a kind of uh, profit line that, that satisfies me. That's right. Mm. <sighs> wow. Emergence, emergence of a completely new market. So the the device as a customer that yeah. we mentioned, this is going to be very big. Uh, only in 2016, we've seen the first uh, washing machines, dishwashers, even blood glucose monitors that self replenish, mm. order order replenishments by themselves. Uh, right now, this is more of a you know so-called walled garden approach. So that blood glucose monitor only orders the particular you know replenishments uh, um, uh, that that it's programmed to do. Yeah. But but it will start opening up. We will have more manufacturers creating devices that will be purchasing online. This is a completely new retail market. Completely new questions. Uh, you know marketing, uh, new distribution channels, integration. Mm. Uh, so for retailers for players in this space that the big question for 2017 to me is how do you position yourself how do you integrate in this new market new complex market. Yeah. awesome mm -hmm. retail 5.0 checking out the future thank you Marek Kowalkowicz and thank you Marek thank you